electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, more vaccinations sooner. President Biden making moves to vaccinate as many Americans as possible. We'll hear from Dr. Scott Gottlieb. I think as you get into the end of March, into April, um, supply is going to start to outstrip demand and they're going to open up appointments. So, you know, we have about another month to go. And NBA Hall of Famer, entrepreneur, legend on the court and off, Magic Johnson. The Big Ten is awesome this season. The best conference in America. His season predictions, plus a new partnership with e-commerce giant Fanatics, and what the sports legend has to say about the newest trend in collectibles, it's all digital. The whole game has changed, and now uh, things are going to be a lot different with this new new way of collecting uh, sports paraphernalia, as well as cars, jerseys, all of it, sneakers, everything is about to change. It's Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. Squawk Pot begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Today is Wednesday. Is it the third? I think it's already the third. Is that three three? It's three three, right? It is. Uh, the, the odds are right. Oh, what's that? Two There's one. If you add up the two and the one, yeah, oh, yeah, it's three right. three two one. And if you add the two and one, it's another three. So it's three three three. Okay, which is half a six six six. But never mind. Oh, look out. Yeah. yeah. First up today on the podcast, some change to the status quo of the coronavirus pandemic. President Biden announced yesterday the White House is moving up the timeline for vaccinations in America thanks to a surprising partnership. Two of the largest healthcare and pharmaceutical companies in the world that are usually competitors are working together on the vaccine. Johnson & Johnson and Merck will work together to expand the production of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. I'm pleased to announce today, as a consequence of the stepped-up process that I've ordered and just outlined, this country will have enough vaccine supply, I'll say it again, for every adult in America by the end of May. By the end of May. That's progress, important progress. The president also said he'd use the federal pharmacy program to prioritize the vaccination of child care workers and pre-K through 12 educators, with the goal of every teacher getting a first shot of vaccine by the end of March this month. As of yesterday, more than 51 million Americans have received one or more doses of a vaccine, with more than 78 million total doses administered. All steps in the right direction. On the same day, a major announcement in Texas. Here's Governor Greg Abbott. Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Abbott said restrictions could return if the COVID hospitalization rate rises again in Texas. And the governor of Mississippi also lifted that state's mask mandate. So are we almost out of this? 
for that question, of course, we turn to CNBC contributor Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and a board member at Pfizer and Illumina. Here's Becky. And Dr. Gottlieb, good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot. What we heard yesterday from the Biden administration, I mean, it seems to me that that's basically them catching up with what you've been telling us for months, that we are going to have plenty of vaccines and eventually a glut. Yeah, well, not a glut. I think we're going to end up using the vaccine because a lot of these doses are going to be used potentially as boosters in the fall. There's studies underway looking at a third dose going into the fall and the winter. We may end up giving some of it away to some of our neighbors. Um, I think the reality is there's going to be enough vaccine in the market that people are going to be able to get a shot in April. I think that this is going to be wide open, as I've said, in April. Um, the president talked about May being a timeline when there's going to be enough doses for every American. I don't think we're going to get every American vaccinated, unfortunately. So I think as you get into the end of March, into April, um, supply is going to start to outstrip demand and they're going to open up appointments. So, you know, we have about another month to go. I know people are frustrated. It's difficult to get an appointment right now. But I think this is going to really open up in the next three or four weeks. You know, just in terms of where people want this vaccine, is it geographically diverse? I ask because right now we're sending out the doses as if, you know, it's based on your population in your state. Are there states where fewer people want to get vaccinated, states where more people want to get vaccinated? And will that lead to even more unevenness as we get a little further down the road? Yeah, that's definitely the case, that demand isn't even across the country. So distribution's even across the country. Supply is even. Um, it's a portion based on population, as you said. But demand isn't the same. You're seeing some states where demand is more brisk than others. Um, so that's going to be a challenge. But that's going to be a challenge that gets worked off in a matter of a couple of weeks. And some states are doing a better job at distribution. You're talking to, to people in certain states that are still having a difficult time um, getting appointments, going online. Um, so some states have still done a better job than others in terms of setting up distribution points and making it more fluid. I talked to people, for example, in Pennsylvania that report a lot of difficulty getting appointments, even for those over the age of 65, while other states seem to be more opened up. And that's a function, I think, of how many access points they have. Scott, we talked a little bit um, earlier today about Texas. The governor there is saying they're going to open up businesses at 100 percent and they're going to get rid of the mask mandates. Is that a problem in your perspective? Look, I think we need to be careful how we start to relax um, provisions. And we're certainly going to be relaxing provisions over the course of this month. March really is a difficult month. It sits between two worlds. February was a raging epidemic. It was very clear that we needed to have measures in place. I think April is going to be profoundly better. And March is sitting in the middle. Um, the situation's improving. It's going to start to hopefully accelerate. But we still face a lot of risk of a resurgence this month, and we're still grappling with variants that we don't fully understand. We're trying to get the population vaccinated more aggressively. I think, you know, we need to be careful how we take the foot off the brake. Now, that said, we also need to give the public realistic goals when we are going to be relaxing these provisions and set up some kind of a timeline. A lot of public health officials were critical of what the U.K. did, where they set up specific dates as targets for when they're going to lift certain provisions and have a more open, um, open population, you know, more open environment. But I think you need to give realistic targets. CDC is going to come out with guidance this week that's going to prescribe what people can start to do, particularly after they're vaccinated. I think it's going to be overly prescriptive and conservative. And that's the wrong message, because if we continue to be very prescriptive and not give people a realistic vision for what a better future is going to look like, they're going to start to ignore the public health guidance. And for the most part, over the last 12 months, the American population has put up with a lot. Um, they've complied with a lot of the provisions that have been put in place, and we're safer for that. And we're going to lose that support if we don't give a realistic glide path to a better future. Now, March is a little bit premature, I think, to lift everything, but certainly getting on a glide path towards lifting a lot of these provisions right now makes sense. 
You know, it's interesting that you talk about the, the CDC provisions that I think we're expecting on Thursday. Anthony Fauci was talking about them yesterday and basically said, look, if you have a group of adults, maybe a small group of adults, your grown children who come home, you've been vaccinated, they've been double vaccinated, um, then it's OK to have masks off in a small environment at home. And I, I thought exactly what you just said. That seems incredibly conservative. Um, I feel like people get the vaccine. They feel like they can get out there. Maybe it's not life back as normal as it was before. But the idea that you can only have fully vaccinated people around you at that point, especially when kids aren't going to be vaccinated. And that's the only way you can take your mask off in that environment. That seems um, incredibly conservative and something that I think a lot of people would push back at. Well, look, I think the bottom line is people aren't going to follow it. And it doesn't really make sense to put out public health guidance that you know people are going to ignore because you lose your credibility and you lose your ability to speak to the public. So the bottom line is, you know, people who are fully vaccinated have waited a period after vaccination. They're going to want to see their families again, even if their families aren't fully vaccinated. I think in a high prevalence environment, you should still be careful. Don't do it if you're not feeling well. Maybe get tested beforehand. Um, you know, I think it, 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 why not wear a mask in public, even if you've been vaccinated in a very high prevalent environment. But, you know, older people who've been vaccinated, they're going to want to see their kids again. They're going to want to see their grandkids. We need to prescribe public health recommendations on how you can do that safely, not say you can't do that because people are going to do it. So, you know, the most prudent thing to do from a public health standpoint, my view, is try to prescribe guidance that gives people safe ways to do what they're going to engage in. And we know that people who are fully vaccinated are going to want to see their families. We've seen the case numbers nationwide come down astronomically. Um, What's high prevalence? How, how do you determine if you're in a high prevalence area or not? Yeah, I think we need to start shifting that debate as well. I mean, high prevalence, you know, we're still at 20,000 infections a day. That's still pretty high prevalence. But 20,000 infections a day now is different than what 20,000 infections a day looked like last spring or last summer. Because last spring or last summer, the entire population largely was vulnerable to this virus. Right now, the vulnerability of the population is being sharply reduced. I mean, assuming something unexpected doesn't happen with these new variants, particularly the South African and the Brazilian variant, we're dramatically reducing the proportion of the population that's vulnerable to this virus, either through prior infections, so people have some natural immunity, or more likely vaccination, where we're vaccinating fully more than 50 percent of those over the age of 65, more than 60 percent over the, those over the age of 70. So as the vulnerability of the population overall comes down, I think we can put up with a little bit of a higher prevalence if, if the case mix is much different, if the cases are in people who are far less vulnerable to the virus. So we need to also look at the percentage of the population as vulnerable as we look at prevalence. And we can't just say, well, you know, 20,000 infections or 10,000 infections today is what 10,000 infections were a year ago. It's not the same anymore because the population as a whole is gaining more, uh, more protection from the virus. Scott, if you look at the market, um, investors are pretty optimistic about this reopening. They're really pleased with what we've seen with the vaccine front. I'm feeling much more optimistic. And I know it, it, it certainly sounds like you are, too, just in terms of where you see things headed. April being a much better scenario, May after that. If we do some of these reopenings, if we stop wearing masks, do we risk that narrative? Or do you think this is pretty much set in stone at this point? I think we risk what happened last summer where we reopened um, in a dramatic fashion a little bit prematurely in a lot of parts of the country and we had persistent infection. We had higher persistent infection. We didn't fully snuff out the virus. I don't think we're going to fully snuff out the virus, but I think the combination of, you know, keeping our foot on the brake just a little bit longer and getting more of the population vaccinated before we really fully lift a lot of these measures 
can get this virus down to prevalence levels around the country, that it really isn't a factor this summer. You know, barring something, again, unexpected happening with the 44K mutation, the one that seems to pierce prior immunity, I don't, don't think B117 by itself is going to be enough to change the narrative. Now, that said, it's not going to be a linear progression, as we talked about on this show. The summer could be very mild. We could have very low, low infection around the country this summer. People really get back to their normal lives. Um, but then we have to, you know, take more precautions as we get into the late fall and the winter. And I think that's likely to be the case. This is not going to be a linear progression where after the summer it's just gone forever. We're going to have to deal with it again in the fall and the winter. But we're going to be much better prepared and have a much better toolbox, both in terms of probably, hopefully, updated vaccines and maybe even a small molecule inhibitor of viral replication, a drug that could be used to treat this. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Great to see you, as always. Thanks a lot. Coming up. Fanatics Executive Chairman Michael Rubin and some guy named Magic Johnson, the legend. The company Fanatics is doing very, very well. I probably was buying three to 500 jerseys every single year to uh, sign and give away to charities. News just out that Magic's going to be joining Fanatics board. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. A sports merchandising giant, Fanatics, announcing this morning that it is appointing basketball legend and entrepreneur Magic Johnson to its board of directors and joining us now with more on this partnership. Boy, am I excited for this segment. Michael Rubin is here, executive chairman of Fanatics, partner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils and the one and only Magic Johnson, NBA Hall of Famer and Chairman and CEO of Magic Johnson Enterprises. Good morning to both of you, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Michael, thank you for bringing Magic uh, on the program. Uh, I, but, but, I didn't think that great excitement was just for me. I knew it was for my guy. <laughs> I, I'm, exci- I'm excited to see both of you guys. I'm excited to see both of you guys. Uh, Michael, t- tell us how this happened, and then, we'll, and then I want to talk to Magic about uh, his perspective on all of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I've known Magic for more than a decade. And I've really always watched him in business create great value. I've seen him bring people together, uh, do so many different interesting things in different parts of businesses. So for me to bring such a great business person into Fanatics, but also someone who, who represents everything that Fanatics is about, was a great opportunity. We're going to sell more than $3 billion of licensed sports merchandise this year. Um, we've sold millions of dollars of Max's jersey himself. And we just thought it was great to get this iconic athlete and this iconic business person and somebody I know, love, and trust all in one. Magic, uh, he called you. Did you just say yes automatically or what? How did, how did this go? <laughs> I, said, I said yes right away. I really, first of all, I respect Michael. And uh, he told you we've been friends. But uh, the way he's carried himself, not just in business, but also what he's done for, for communities across the country has been amazing. Uh, the company Fanatics is doing very, very well. Matter of fact, uh, even before Michael asked me to join the board, I probably was buying three to 500 jerseys every single year 
to uh, sign and give away to charity. So I'm a big fan of Fanatics, even before he asked me to join the board. And, and last but not least, when you have a company that's growing like Fanatics, they have a great leader in Doug Mack. So uh, everything is, is fantastic, fantastic about the company. And I'm just happy that Michael uh, asked me to join the board. I'm ex- really, really excited. Michael, while we got you here, you know, you just you just created a partnership in China, which should be a, a real growth engine for the company. What's that look like? Yeah, we, we've been asked by all of our sports properties, hundreds of them globally. How can you really help us in China? And certainly outside of each sports team or sports leagues, home market, China is always number one or number two most important strategic place to build for us. We saw this enormous opportunity, but we also know we didn't have the experience to know how to do it on our own. So we found out uh, we picked the best private equity firm, largest private equity firm in China. We did a 50-50 joint venture with them. Um, They're putting up all the capital. And we think we can build a multi-billion dollar business in China. We think it's an incredible opportunity. And we think it's one that helps all of our sports properties connect with their fans. And one that's super strategic to us. And we're going to make some big announcements uh, in the not too distant future about um, new partnerships that will really um, propel that business very quickly. You, you know, Andrew, you got to just let me in for a second. Magic, tomorrow night, <laughs> tomorrow night, tomorrow night. Would you normally be headed to Ann Arbor for this? And, and you know, Michigan just lost, although they're great. And Michigan, now, it, does it not seem like MSU is starting to get better? And, and what would, 11 points? What would you do tomorrow with 11 points? <laughs> uh, normally, I probably would be uh, there at both games because we play them not only tomorrow, but also again on Sunday at, in East Lansing. So right now, you got to give uh, Michigan credit. They're, they're, what, number two before they lost last night, number two in the nation. This is the first time that Michigan State been somewhat down. Coach Izzo has always had us in the top 10, 15 program in the nation. But uh, anytime that Michigan and Michigan State play, you know it's going to be an awesome game. I'm looking forward to it. But Izzo right now has Michigan State playing uh, the best we've played all season long. So hopefully we can get into the NCAA tournament uh, and and see what we can do there. But the Big Ten is awesome this season. Unbelievable. The best conference in America. I know. I mean, I've seen this movie before. Michigan State late in right late in the uh, late in the season. And That's so right. I, I I would never say never with, uh, with Izzo. Would you? <laughs> never, would ne- never never count Coach Izzo out. Never count him out. And his never team. Say ne- never say never. All right, I'm done. Uh, that it. Thanks, thanks. I'm very excited. I, I, I want to ask. I want to ask Magic and Michael about, about something else that's going on in the sports world, and it has to do with collectibles, NFTs, these non-fungible tokens, these are these digital tokens. But cover of uh, Business Week just last week had a sneaker, and it said, "This is not a sneaker; it's an asset class." And, and I'm curious how both of you are thinking about that world these days, Magic. Well, uh, things are changing. You know, uh, when you think about uh, trading cars, used to be that was everything when we all grew up, right? And collecting those trading cars. Now, uh, as you've seen, the whole game has changed. And now uh, things are going to be a lot different with this new new way of collecting uh, sports paraphernalia as well as cars, jerseys, all of it, sneakers. Everything is about to change. Michael, yeah, are you producing now lim- limited edition jerseys that are now going to be even more valuable? And how's that going to work? 
Yeah, look, I think the whole collectible category is exploding both physical and digitally. And I think certainly what you saw in 2020 was just a complete breakout. E-commerce took a big step function up. Certainly, uh, Finax was a big beneficiary of that. But I think in the collectible space, um, people staying at home, spending more time at home, the collectibles business really had a big surge. And now what you're seeing is digitally, this is also a big opportunity. I think the space that Gary was talking to you about earlier is one that's very exciting. I think there's, it's, it's almost a frenzy happening right now. I'll tell you, I think there's going to be tremendous value created, but also um, there's so many people getting into it. I don't think everyone's going to be successful. I think it's really going to be about creating incredible content, incredible product. That's what's going to have longevity. You certainly, as the leader in the space, it's something we're paying close attention to, and, and uh, we think it's very exciting. Magic noses, because I told him this uh, about a year ago. I've got his rookie card, Tops, <laughs> with Larry with Larry on it, and Dr. J. You know the card I'm talking about. That's uh, right. It's a great card. Before yeah, you magic, you get big did you get everybody to sign it yet? Uh, Michael. Michael, I, 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 That's my next project. i got to see you in person. Michael, okay. so- Michael, sorry to ignore you. Sixers, are, are you going to beat the Nets? You're going to you're going to finish in first. Uh, the Nets, where, that, suddenly they're big, they're good. You're going to beat them? They're doing a great job, but our plan is certainly to beat them. We we wake up every day and we're uh, obsessed with being number one, and that's our responsibility to the city of Philadelphia. Can I jump in on that one second? Yeah, the, the, they're they're the two best teams in the East. And I think it's going to come down to both of them in the Eastern Conference Finals. And if uh, Michael and his great uh, Sixers can make just one move, and it's a small move, before the trade deadline, I think they're going to be the team that could beat the Nets. Those two teams are the two teams that's better than anybody else in the East by far. And Joe Embiid is playing. Him and LeBron, one of those two will win the MVP. And Magic, right, we need okay. to be your Eastern team now, so yeah. we're looking forward to you being with us and rooting for us as your Eastern Conference team. <laughs> That's right. Come on come on back, guys. Uh, we'll do this again, I hope, very, very soon. I want to hear more about Magic. Magic's in the CBD business, too. We'll see you yes, guys very yes. soon. Thanks again. Congratulations. Squawk Pod will be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. That's Squawk Pod for today. Guys, that was fun. What do you say we do this again tomorrow? I think we have to. I think we will. Thanks for joining us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.